The Flywheel Podcast. The Flywheel Podcast. Buckle up and get ready to set your life in motion. Hosted by Mike and Justin. Welcome to the show, everyone. Mike and Justin here. Today, we are going to be talking to Kate to better understand emotional intelligence. Kate is one of the most intelligent, emotionally intelligent people I know. So we figured who better than Kate to bring onto the show and understand why employers are looking for people with EQ. So Kate, let's start by passing it over to you for a brief introduction. Hi, Mike. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Kate Bergsma, and I work at Microsoft Canada. I've spent most of my career in the high-tech industry, but I've also done uh, a number of marketing roles, sales roles, volunteering, and emotional intelligence has become something really important to me that I make sure that I practice in all my roles, and I'm starting to reach out to others to try to help them build their skills too. Awesome. Well, welcome again. Um, Let's start with the basics here. What is IQ and what is EQ? Well, IQ is a standardized test. It really measures visual processing, working memory, quantitative reasoning, and it's something that's been used for a long time. Lots of people call that book smarts. Mm -hmm. There's various debates on how effective it is, but but that's a pretty well-known testing methodology for people's potential and their, their learning ability. Whereas EQ, emotional quotient or emotional intelligence, is about identifying emotions, relating to other people, and social communication. So it's actually, it's testable, but it's it's a little harder to test from a standardization perspective because it's really about relating to others. So on that, IQ and EQ, I think there's like this learn versus born with it type example. Can you talk a little bit about both and maybe expand mostly on EQ? Is it something that some people are just born with more EQ than others? And if you aren't born with EQ or more EQ, can you develop it or learn it? Yeah. Th- uh, thanks for asking, Mike. Um, I noticed in your intro, and I appreciate that you said I'm a person with a lot of EQ. It, it's something that's been identified to me a number of times, which I didn't I didn't necessarily realize that I was so strong on EQ compared to other people. Um, Early in my career in the high tech industry, uh, we, we did some, some team building tests and it was actually pretty funny about what you think your reputation is versus what other people think your reputation is. And we used Simpsons, the show, the Simpsons character characters, and we had to say which character we were. So as you can imagine, in the 90s in the high-tech industry, almost everybody in the group said they were Sideshow Bob. Now, Why is that? So if you don't know Sideshow Bob, he is a ruthless, money-making you know, entrepreneur of the show. Yeah, cutthroat. Cutthroat, yeah. yeah. And back in those days, in the 90s, the high-tech industry was really getting up and running, and that was actually kind of respected. The, the, the ruthlessness. So here I was, I think I was only like 25 or something. They all said that I was Marge Simpson. And I said, my, my face fell. I was like, uh Oh, does this make me weird? Or is this right? Me- I thought, uh Oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Be- and, and I'm only 25. Like I, I wasn't a mother. Now in hindsight, 
Actually, if you think about The Simpsons, Marge is the most normal, the most likable yeah, character. True. Yeah, no, the right? mother, right? Just the, the caring one, the making sure but everyone's she's also like the sword. least weird of everyone in The Simpsons. So, right? Yeah, she, she does normal things. That's yeah, for sure. and so I'm I'm happy to say the high-tech industry has come a long way and, mm-hmm. and has started to recognize EQ and how important it is. I mean, I'd love to say that, uh, you know, when talking to other people about EQ, I'd love to just say, okay, look, don't be a jerk. Like, like yeah. that's kind of... That's kind of what it what it is. Don't be a jerk. Interesting. But uh, looking back, I'm like, you know what? I've actually kind of trained for this. I have a degree in rhetoric. Rhetoric is the art of persuasion. I actually have techniques that I use to put people at ease, to get inside people's heads, to build influence with people. So I've been training for it. Yeah. The other thing is actually I've traveled pretty extensively. Uh, and, uh, at one point I traveled and stayed with families. I stayed with like a hundred different families over a year. Wow. I traveled with a performing group and we would pull our bus in and we would stay with families. I had to build a relationship with those families very quickly. So I practiced it again and again and again and again, not knowing that's what, you know, that's what I was doing. So back to your question, Mike, are you born with it or can you build it? Absolutely. You can build it. It does take practice. You're probably awkward at some of the things ahead of time, but today I hope to share with you some kind of tips and techniques that everybody can do. Would you say it takes a little bit of self-awareness as well to kind of develop it? Um, Just understanding what aspects you are building on and how you're building them? Self-awareness is absolutely a huge part of, of emotional intelligence. The, the sort of research right now or the, the, the body of work on it talks about self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. Mm-hmm. Now, I love to talk about social awareness and relationship management in a business context, but if you don't have the self-awareness and the self-management, you're kind of in trouble right from the beginning. Okay. It's important that you know what your own strengths and weaknesses are. And it's also important that you realize that you are reacting to other people and that is what you can control. You can't control the other people, but you can control yourself through self-management. Could you give for, for the listeners, since we're still really early on the topic, I think really putting some clarity around examples of scenarios where you have to utilize EQ. Um, can you give us a few examples of that so people can sort of follow along and maybe put themselves in a scenario where they've had to either ex- use good EQ or didn't yeah. use good EQ for themselves? Potentially give people some self-awareness right now as, we're, as they're listening. So if you think about the highest performing teams that you've ever been on, if you think back, whether it's a sports team or work team, any kind of team, usually those people are happy, relatively healthy they feel valued, and they feel like they're bringing their best. That is high emotional quotient, high emotional EQ happening. So in times, for instance, now when we're working a lot more virtually, the pandemic, people are under a ton of stress, and they all have their own stresses in different ways. So EQ becomes even more important. I have a new team member whom I've only met like four times in two years. He came from another country. English isn't even his first language. Talk about a time when EQ is important. We needed to make him feel comfortable, welcome, valued. And I actually asked him about, you know, how he was feeling about our level of trust with each other. 
And he said to me, you know what, Kate, when I came from another country, that culture was not about trust. We didn't have trust in our team, but I've been watching how you behave in meetings and observing how you ask people for their opinion, how you stop and check in with people, how you make things fair. And he says, I'm really, really impressed. And I'm trying to do it now too. That's a really good example. And so are there specific traits like empathy? You've talked about trust, listening, um, caring, making people feel safe. Are these some of the examples of things people would normally categorize as emotional quotient behaviors? Absolutely. Empathy is now being seen as the number one trait that's useful in a, is a useful leadership skill. So empathy is absolutely huge. It's a, it's like the backbone of emotional intelligence. And I'd love to talk more about that. Yeah. Th- there's other things like trust, uh, positivity, optimism, influence, and, and those are actually really interesting topics too. But on the, on the topic of empathy, a lot of people first want to think empathy is being nice yeah. or feeling sorry for someone else. It's not actually. Empathy is about understanding someone else. Now you don't have to actually agree with them or feel the same way about things, but when you can understand someone else, you can actually find common ground to achieve goals together. Now, why do we all work? Kind of rhetorical question. Why do we all work? Why do we work? Why do we have jobs? Why do we have companies? For a common goal. Common goal? Whatever that company's mission may be, you know, whatever your immediate team's goal may be for that year, that quarter, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like that's a variable question, but maybe that's yep. my short answer. Mike? I, I'm going to sort of go across the spectrum. Why individuals work is for a sense of purpose and probably for money because they're going to need to go do things at home um, for things that aren't their job. So there's 40 hours, maybe more spent working. Um, And so you spend those hours, hopefully with people you enjoy spending time with driving some type of meaningful thing. Mm -hmm. The more meaningful it is, the more you actually enjoy being there. And then the other hours outside of the week, I can't do the quick math, but all those other hours outside of the week, you actually are working to bring money home to spend time, energy with other things outside of your life that aren't work. Right. I love it. I love both those answers. Actually, they're super valid and they're super common across everybody's work scenario. A third thing, actually, when you get into sort of the tactics of the day-to-day in your job, almost all of us are doing a job because we are trying to influence others to do something. We're trying to influence them to buy our product, to take our service, to change what they're currently doing. So the key word there is influence. Now, if I am trying to influence you, the best way to do it is in an emotional way where we find something that's good for you and good for me. So I'm not trying to trick you into anything. I'm actually trying to point out to you that this is of benefit to you. And that's where empathy becomes absolutely critical in a business, in a business sense. It's not about being nice. It's about understanding their motivators, where they're trying to go, what they expect, all that kind of stuff. 
that makes empathy a huge skill. Now, the other thing is we said, you know, do you want to work with people that you're having fun with? Absolutely. Like, I think that's a common, you know, it's no fun to, to just work in a place that's cranky all the time. Yeah. Actually, I'll give an example of that. When I was younger, I, I volunteered at the blood drive and I made it all business. I didn't talk to anybody. I showed up. I had to phone people and ask them to come and give blood. I did my phone calls. The people offered me cookies, like the people that work there offered me cookies. I said no. And I left. How long do you think I did that job? Six months. Probably less. Wow. Like, yeah. Like it was just, it would be so grueling to go do that on repeat every day. Right now, that was my own fault. That was my own self-awareness, self-management. I didn't, I didn't lean in with my emotional intelligence. I didn't, I didn't attach myself and have fun at that job. Whereas other jobs, you know, sometimes I've worked till midnight. I've worked, you know, really, really hard sweating, you know, the whole thing, but it's because I was emotionally involved in that job and it was kind of fun in the end. So, so being emotionally involved is extremely important to, to have people stay, to have people happy, to have people wanting to work together. What do you, what do you think is key for someone to be emotionally involved in whatever they're doing? Like what, for you, what were those few things that ticked your boxes off and, you know, kind of assured you that you are emotionally involved in your role, in your job? Um, for me, it's really the, the people are a huge, huge piece of it. Alongside with the people, it's a common goal that we know what the common goal is, the simplicity of that common goal, uh, and that we have a chance of achieving it. And I like it even more when we do achieve it. Yeah. So let me, let me give an example of actually Mike and I work together. So if you look at me and Mike on paper, we are extremely different people. We're kind of not even from the same generation. We're different genders. Um, you know, I have kids, he doesn't have kids, you know, so on and so forth. But actually Mike and I are great coworkers and we, I think we really like each other, but early on we found common, common things, or at least even we found out what each other are interested in. So it turns out Mike and I both like dancing. <laughs> even though Michael's not so good at it. Well, wasn't he a competitive dancer? Yeah, I think he lost those bones in his body though. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's potential there. I'm not a good I am not a good dancer, but I I I like it. So I mean, I'm kind of joking about that. Mm -hmm. Um but we also both like data and and driving action from data. And so that I think was one of the things that brought us together as coworkers early on. And then we both like to be creative about that data and making it actionable. So you know, we always would add a little extra flair to things together and, and be with the two of us, we would make the project even better. Another thing that, that we found in common is we both did volunteer work. Now, did we find this out on day one of meeting each other? No, actually for me, we can probably stop the podcast right now. I'm going to tell you the secret. The secret to getting to know people is lunch. That's it. And is that common? Is it the food that makes it happen? What is, what's why lunch? It, it's a, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not. It's yeah. uh well, first off, I love food, but, uh, I think we all can agree. We love food. It gives you a time to talk. Right. Yeah. And so, okay. If you can't have lunch and you're in a virtual world, the first question that I ask people 
almost every time is, where are you from? And actually even better, I say, where did you grow up? It turns out, okay, after all I just said about me and Mike, we both grew up in Burlington. Hmm. So here's the trick. Asking where someone grew up is not enough, okay? Mike grew up in Burlington. I grew up in Burlington. We're totally different people. So that doesn't actually tell you all that much. It gives you an, a, a topic to talk about because everybody's from someplace, okay? So that's like a very good kind of intro question. But then you need to do something with it. And then over time, you ask more questions to the person and it helps you understand them and it helps you build empathy. One of the things I also ask is, where do you live now? So if it turns out you live two hours away from the office, I'm going to file that away in my head and never book a meeting with you at eight in the morning if I expect you to be there in person. That's just rude. That's very nice of you. Right? <laughs> but- to be honest, yeah. I may need you to help me with something someday, and I want you to like me. And most people probably, ju just that example alone is a great example of emotional intelligence that many people probably aren't implementing. Yeah. Yeah, it's so simple. So in this day of, of online meetings, new person, ask where they grew up. Easy, right? And now you're, you're a step in. Another technique that I use actually, so in our industry, it's very multicultural. It's people from all over the world that work at our company. I always ask how you say your name, especially if it's a name I'm not familiar with. Because for me, and then we could do a whole podcast on this, but for me, your name is absolutely critical to feeling valued. And if we say your name incorrectly, we are dismissing your culture, your name, your identity. If we shortcut it and we call you something else because we can't pronounce your name, that's also dismissing your value. And so I ask, now, I'm terrible with accents, but I always make it about me if I can't really say your name properly, but I darn toot and try. And once I kind of master how to say your name first and last, I will say it again and again in front of as many people as I possibly can so others learn how to say the name too. And people like to hear their name, don't they, Kate? Yes, they do, Michael. It, it, it helps build emotional connection. And so when you're talking to people, using their name in dialogue is actually another way to build an emotional connection because you hear your name and it brings attention to your ears and you may pay attention more than you would in other scenarios. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it goes back to the feeling valued, right? So let's maybe maybe dive into you talked about a few things there about work and 8 a.m meetings in person uh i hope to return to those soon maybe not 8 a.m but we we're march 2022 so we've just spent nearly two years or i think a full two years yep. yeah of heavily remote if not fully remote work and so covid um has had multiple impacts on many things but a ton on virtual work um and maybe you can talk a little bit about the importance of EQ and empathy in this virtual world where some people, and maybe we can even dive into some examples, Justin here actually started entirely virtual for almost an entire year, never yeah. met his team. And that's not the only one I think you were talking about. Your daughter had two entire work terms where she never met anybody through anything other than a virtual platform. And there's obviously benefits of the fact that we can go do that today. But there's implications as well. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about how COVID and empathy and EQ have been important over the last two years. 
Yeah. COVID's been a real struggle for a lot of people and it's made us change, change our way of, of behaving. The route to emotional intelligence and online, I think is really about the sense of belonging. And I'd say, um, industries have a huge challenge right now, especially the high tech industry does for sure on, on retaining talent on people leaving their jobs, moving jobs, so on and so forth. That's because they don't feel emotionally connected. It it is my belief. It's easier to leave a job when you don't feel emotionally connected. And when you're not in person, it, it does make it harder. So it's all the more important to take moments in those virtual meetings to get real, to have conversations. And again, another sort of technique is, is using vulnerability. And I, I, I almost hate saying that because it, it sounds so, I don't know what it sounds like, but to say vulnerability is a technique or a tactic, but I'm telling you, I use it all the time and it's to put people at ease. It's not like I like talking about how I made coffee and I forgot to put the mug underneath the coffee maker and I let the coffee spill all over the floor, which is true, (sighs) but it helps other people feel at ease. Yeah. It, it, it lightens the situation. Be like, Oh, like Kate's, you know, that was silly Kate, you know, like, Oh, this happened to me today. Exactly. In fact, um, do you know, like, do you know people who come across as perfect I wouldn't say any one person is perfect. I agree. But some people try to look perfect. Yeah. And it's hard to trust those people. Like something goes, something goes off in your brain when you start to go, huh, why is this person so perfect? There's no way they're perfect. And therefore you actually start to wobble your trust with that person. Because their guard's always up, right? Exactly. When someone lets their guard down and shares a little bit more about them, it helps build that trust and then hopefully is exchanged with the other individual reciprocating that and sharing a little bit something more about themselves. Exactly. So like at the beginning of a call, uh, I almost often, I I almost always share a bit of a story. Now, maybe I'm an oversharer. I don't know. Um, I have a colleague who does a really good job of just checking in with everyone on the call. It seems very natural to him and he, you know, Hey, how are you to pretty much everybody on the call? I think if people are just starting out trying that technique, they, they may feel awkward at it, but as you do it more and more over time, um, it, it becomes more natural and, and it's a good thing. So starting calls that way, I think is absolutely critical, especially in the virtual world. Yeah. It's actually funny you say that. Cause that's something I think just uh, kind of automatically I, I reach to is just seeing how everyone is. Like, I feel like within the first five minutes of the meeting, and it's almost worth, in some some sense, scheduling an extra five minutes for the meeting so that the first bit you can actually just take time to check in on everyone, see how they're doing, uh, especially Mondays, I find, asking how the weekend went, right? Yeah. What did you get up to this weekend? Chances are everyone has something interesting to share. Even if it is you just relaxed and had a, a low-key weekend, what did you watch on Netflix? What books did you read? Yeah. Um, but I find that starts the meeting off on a really good tone. Uh, and the room is instantly more connected. And I find the meetings that we take the time to do that were a lot more productive and they go a lot more collaboratively 
than the meetings that we don't. It's actually a great point because oftentimes when you ask the open-ended question of how was your weekend, what did you get up to? Oftentimes you'll learn something about somebody. And so I'll give you, I'll share a recent example. Um, Jeff and I, a couple weeks back, went for a Friday night camping in the middle of the winter, but I shared that on a call um, of what I did that weekend. And actually two other individuals on that call expressed that they were looking to get into more outdoorsy things and were actually looking for a way to get started trying camping or more backcountry camping. They've hiked before. And so this instantly became a connection point where they said, hey, would you mind, you know, maybe allowing me to join on an upcoming camping trip? Not in the winter, but it became (laughs) something where now I understood something about them. I understood they liked hiking. They actually love winter hiking and they wanted to try something, but just didn't know who in their existing sphere may help them try this new thing. And so it instantly became a point of connection and trust and talking about that. Um, where, you know, we've been working together um, at the same company for years. We work a lot closer now. And just in the first four months, that became something that, you know, if we hadn't talked about our weekend, we may never have realized that the other person could have built a connection with us over that. So I'll let you in on one other one that I find is interesting. And not that I did this with the intent of what it played out to be, but so I feel like both all of us here in this room use Microsoft Teams, whether it be Teams, Zoom, Google Meets, you can put a background, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, on my team and with my our, our teams that we work with, I was kind of known for a little while there as like the background guy, whereas every meeting I would or every day of meetings, I would have a new background and people actually started looking forward to whatever background I had. And that would honestly be the leading point of the meeting is we would talk about like, okay, where are you today? Like I might be in like Santorini, Greece today. Mm-hmm. And then some people would actually talk about how they traveled there. Um, sometimes I'd be in like a picturesque hipster kind of studio office. Uh, and people would just like make comments about that. And so I found that to be interesting as like something as simple as flicking on a background on my teams. And I literally had like 50 images saved in a folder, like specifically for it. I won't lie, and I apologize to any of my coworkers who might be listening. I have been slacking on it lately. I've actually gotten called out on it numerous times. Um, so I need to go and find, you know, 50 more backgrounds to to carry forward with. But that was something that was interesting. I didn't even intend for it to, you know, be what it was. I was just like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want a boring background, like one of these stock backgrounds. So let me find some like cool pictures that I like. So but yeah, just an interesting call out. And maybe for anyone else out there who wants to spice up their Teams meetings or Zoom meetings, Google Meet meetings, so have it. I love it. Well, here's, so you don't even always have to find things in common about each other. It's actually knowing each other that's the important part. Go go back to to me and Mike. And actually, I think you too, Justin. I think, I know Mike's into cars big time. Yeah. I think you kind of are too, maybe. Yeah. I'm totally not into cars. Like, I'm puzzled by the whole being into cars thing altogether. And Mike and I used to carpool to the office every once in a while. And I don't know, I've been in like five different vehicles of Mike's and they're always perplexing to me, you know, why you have this vehicle. However, I was driving a 12 year old minivan. Oh yeah. Okay. Space and comfort. Mike's probably huge nightmare, but 
I know he's into cars. And so I will talk about my minivan lots of times with Mike and I make it funny because it's so the opposite of what he's into. And actually even a step further, I've had a few trouble. Well, I had a few troubles with my minivan, you know, and I'd be like, Mike, what do you think of this? Because I know, you know, things about cars. So it's not like now I'm into cars. I'm not, but I, I know Mike's into cars and when I can use it as an example, or when I can ask Mike for advice about cars, I do because I want Mike to feel valued, to feel recognized, you know, to, he's a, he's an individual who likes cars. Yeah. Cool. Go for it. I don't have to like cars, but you do. And I know you do. Well, and that's the best way to learn from people too, is like, it's something that they find interest in. You may not. But through talking and learning more about why they're so interested in it, you may actually discover some things that you like, right? I don't know if you've moved on from the minivan. I got a new minivan. Oh, what's this one? It has a vacuum in the back. It has a vacuum in the back. It's my third Honda Odyssey. Ooh, a loyal customer. How many drink holders do you think I have? I'm going to take a wild guess and say eight. Fourteen. Why would you need that many drink holders in a van? Dude, you need that many. I have three kids. Sometimes I have, you know, water, coffee, and something else on the go, you know, tea or whatever. So yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. it's it's what a it's a seven seater? Yeah. I don't two, even know. Two, See, you have two for every single seat. So car. you'd be rocking coffee water combo all the way through. Right. Totally. Awesome. It's, it's very important. I hope, hope and, the but, kids aren't drinking coffee yet. But I say to Mike, I'm like, look, if you ever need to move a piece of drywall you know who to call, right? You can fit drywall in my van. Yeah, ha, that is. Ha, ha. Well, yeah, it's funny. That's actually. The, the other piece on that though too, it's a good point because I, the example I gave was us finding common ground. Yep. But you don't always have to find common ground. And I think even a great example is why we started this podcast was to learn from people where we knew something about them. Uh, maybe we don't know something about it. Maybe I have some EQ, but- we knew that you had high EQ through many of our dialogues together, and we thought you could share some of that experience, which you sharing that experience felt natural, like you enjoy talking about this topic. And so it's good for everyone involved and helps build more trust. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Going going back more into, I know we kind of went off, we went off on a bit of a tangent with the minivans and the cars, but that, that was awesome. Uh, not to take away from that. Companies talk about culture. Um, and I know even you made that reference to the Simpsons and like the high tech industry, like in the nineties, I think it was, you said pretty cutthroat, right? Yeah. I think that's a lot different in our, in our current year, 2022. Um, is that something to do with EQ? Like how that development has occurred over time? Is that be because of the growth and awareness of, I guess not growth and awareness, the importance that's been placed on EQ? Um, well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. What kind of environment do you want to be in and stay in? And obviously it's, you'd rather be in a happy place than a cranky place. Of course. Um, and so if we think about, so we already talked a little bit about talent retention at companies. That's huge. So it just makes more sense to have happy people, which I'm, I'm equating happiness with emotional intelligence. I mean, it's not one for one, but to shortcut. Closely related, I feel yeah. like. Now, in the high-tech industry in particular, the pace of change is incredible. Like, it is changing all the time. And we all know change 
is hard. And so in a culture where things are changing all the time, you have to look for specific ways to make that palatable, to make people be able to deal with the pace of change. And we talk a lot about change management and there's a model that's called the ad car model. And it talks about awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, and uh, I can't remember what they are. Oh, reinforcement. The one I hone in on all the time is desire. So if things are changing all the time, you have to find ways to make people want to do that change, which really goes back to empathy and influence. We have to look for ways to make people get their heads around, this is good for me. This is worth the effort, the epic effort sometimes that it's going to take to make this change. So you have to put work into finding that desire moment. And then the third thing that we face in, in high tech industry in particular is trust. And it's, I'm not going to get into cybersecurity and AI, but it really is a huge, important aspect of everything that's happening in the high tech industry, but it comes down to individuals as well. If you can't be a trustworthy individual within the company, then how can we trust that the whole company is going to be trustworthy? And so trust is now an absolutely huge piece of culture and has to be very strict and very um, attended to, to make sure that it's, it's, it's always there and spotless. Hmm. When you think about EQ versus IQ, you're talking about employers and the need for some more emotionally intelligent people in the workplace as a component of culture. Which do you think is more important? Well, that's a huge debate. I mean, I mean, I'm totally pausing. I love EQ. Like I, I like, I like people. I'm a people person. IQ helps. It really does. I mean, I believe IQ is how hard or easy it is for you to learn things, but um, I think IQ in, in a lot of aspects is easier to train someone on rather than EQ because we, we, people aren't as familiar with training on EQ. Now you can do it. You have to have a huge desire to want to do it, but there are courses like for instance, uh, there's a course at Mohawk right now that, that professionals can take that is on building your EQ there's lots of assessments you can take to get self-awareness. Um, there's lots of personality tests that you can take. Um, all those are actually quite valuable in, in building your EQ. So I'm not giving you a very good answer, Mike, because it's, it's hard. I'd say I'd prefer EQ over IQ in a lot of ways because it just makes me happier, feel more valued like people. And it sounds like maybe in a traditional learning sense, IQ may be a little bit easier to teach. Um, or expand for a specific industry, especially, right? Because yeah. usually your IQ gets applied to a very specific topic that you can train on. And there's, yeah. you, you talked about assessing one's EQ. And so what are some um, ways that people can assess their EQ? How often should they be doing it? Um, and if you have any examples, and if you don't have them off the top of your head, we can reference them in the, in the description after. But if there's any good resources that we can point people to around assessing their own EQ. 
there's lots of uh, tests out there that you can do online. You can join into courses. Simon Sinek has courses. You know, he's very popular right now, talks a lot about EQ type topics. There are a few that are called personality tests, Myers-Briggs tests, color insight tests. Those are not particularly EQ, but remember at the beginning, we talked about EQ is about how you are in relation to others. So when you can get a team that does like a colors insights test, and then you can start discussing the results with each other, you're building EQ. Yeah. So for example, there was a, there was a team member at, at Microsoft at one point who, uh, we all did the colors assessment and this person used to answer some of my emails with one word answers. So it would be like, so, uh, I want to get all the advertising agencies in for an event and teach them about blah, 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 yada, 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 yada. And then the email would come back. No. <laughs> and I was like, what does this person not like me? That's polarizing. Right. I, I had a little moment and I had to actually kind of self-manage because I was like, oh, she doesn't like me, you know? And so I was like, okay, wait a minute, you know, calm down. Well, when I thought about her colors, insights test. She was bright red, which means very directive, very short, very, it wasn't that she didn't like me. It's just that that's no was the answer. And that's all she needed to say. She never said, hi, Kate, how are you doing? Like on an email, it was like, no. And then I actually simmered down, right? So am I going to become like that? No. However, I understood her and it was because we'd done that personality test. And then I took the time to be like, okay, what makes her tick? So it wasn't like an offensive no. And that's why actually these personality tests could be super helpful because I mean, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. My emails sometimes aren't, hi, Kate, how are you? They're a sentence or two. They're definitely not no, but understanding the people you're working with. And that's also a very interesting point, how people come across in person virtually and over email or text, whatever it is, are very different. Actually, Ella, my wife, jokes all the time, I'm the worst human to text <laughs> because I will just say KK, no problem. Uh, no. If, like, uh, very, sometimes you just get the K and you're like, what did I do yeah, wrong? And, and it's not <laughs> it's not because I'm trying to be rude. It's just usually I'm on the go, busy with a hundred different things. Voice to text works horrible in cars these days, even if you think it works well. So sometimes just the shortest answer is the best answer in my mind. Yep. But if you only ever texted me or only ever emailed me, um, you would maybe think I'm a jerk. And so it's as you start, to, maybe I still am a jerk, but I think as you know the person and what they're like, then you realize that, okay, even when they're responding short, that's just their style. Um, and understanding people's style is part of emotional intelligence. Everyone has a different style. So when I email Kate, they're usually longer emails and I usually start with hi, Kate. And I usually tell her how my car is doing that day <laughs> because I know she enjoys that. Yeah. And so it, it is, it is an interesting piece. I'll tell you what, when I write a LinkedIn post, I actually write it several times yeah. And I almost always go back and add like an emoji or something funny in it because that is who I am. But usually on my first pass at it, it's very business-like, it's very strict, it's it's no fun. And I'm like, no, that's not my voice. Whose voice is that? I don't know. So I have to like try to put my own voice back in. Yeah, I feel like that's something I try my best to do is I try to email or, you know, message on teams the way I would talk to one in person. Um, I feel like that 
I think being your authentic self is important. Obviously, like still getting your point across from a work perspective. But um, I find in emails, if I haven't reached out to someone in a while, I always will ask how they're doing. You know, how have things been? Hope you're doing well. Um, something as simple as that, it could brighten someone's day. Um, and, you know, if you are making leading off uh, an email with that, that person is going to be more inclined to help you with whatever you may be reaching out for, I find. Yep. Um, like I know there's one uh, colleague of mine, I hadn't worked with him in probably a few months, just haven't had the need to reach out to him. And we just caught up the other day before we even talked about work. It was, you know, how are things going? Like, how's the family? Any travels booked? Because uh, he's a, he's an avid traveler. Um, and then from there, then we got to the point of, okay, this is what I was looking uh, to ask you about. Do you have any knowledge on this? And then we went from there. But I feel like it is important to keep your voice uh, in everything that you do. So I, mm -hmm. I admire that you do that for LinkedIn. Maybe you do it across all things. But I, I was just going to say the other thing that's funny about that, because Justin actually gave some feedback. If you listen to the first flywheel were videos and we did a few at the beginning, but they were like super like structured businessy, which if you know me, I'm super casual, even at work very casual. I work hard, but I'm very casual. And so what I actually realized, Justin gave the feedback and now obviously the format of these is way more casual. There's jokes throughout them, whatever it's natural, but it actually takes a lot of energy as well to force yourself to do something that's unnatural. And so actually yes. doing those was stressful for me, the prep, like making sure they were structured, having questions where this, we've got questions, but we go off just dialogue. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this is way easier. We literally, the prep for these dialogues is far shorter. We show up wherever the conversation goes and you're actively learning and enjoying it. And it's been like night and day difference of how hard and stressful these dialogues were. Yeah. Now it's actually about the fun of them. Yeah. Having cool people come in and talk about interesting things casually, no like forced like behavior of them feeling super like rigid, which is, it's not us. Yeah. Like I don't, sorry to, I, I don't think we've left a podcast episode and not actually had like an unreal time like i genuinely enjoy each of the podcasts that we've done so far and i hope that we continue that way yeah like, well see because you're bringing your best now right you're not you're not wasting energy on all that other stuff and you're probably getting things that if you had been too prescriptive you wouldn't have gone off on those tangents and got little gems yeah right so remember authenticity is part of emotional intelligence and it's tied into vulnerability because being authentic means you're not perfect. And so it actually takes courage to be casual, to be real, to, to go off on tangents. And there's a lot of dialogue going on right now. Like Brene Brown is all about the courage to be yourself. And it, it's almost sad that it takes courage, but it's up to us to model that if we are comfortable doing that, then, then I hope like through things like this is why I'm doing things like this is that others will also have the courage to be themselves. It's exhausting not being yourself. What's yeah. the point? And it's probably easier. So it's interesting because having the courage comes with having the confidence, which in some respects comes with who the audience you are with at that time. And if you have more trust, being more confident and having more courage is easier. Right? Yep. It, it's harder to be authentic or have the courage around people that you do not know how they're going to react or you don't have a lot of trust with because your guard is up. 
And so as you build emotional intelligence um, and show empathy to others, you build trust, which helps everybody at the table be more courageous, more confident, more authentic. Yeah. Now, one one sort of, we haven't touched this and, and I would say it's absolutely important. It goes in, it goes with empathy, but it's the importance of training yourself to always remember that everyone has their own story and everyone is fighting their own demons. Yeah. So where I'm going with that is there are days when people are not at their best. Yeah. And sometimes it's more than one day. Now we can stop and say, well, they, they're terrible at their job or they're not into this job. But usually I'd say always when you dig in a little bit more, you find out there's something going on and it can be a very serious thing. And then you stop and say, oh boy, you're doing great. You're actually doing great. And I'm going to give you the grace right now to work through this thing and, and we'll get over it. Um, and so that's an absolute critical piece to emotional intelligence is to be very well aware and really assume someone's, everyone's got something going on, you know, they could have COVID, they could, you know, whatever it is, yeah. but they have something going on for like, sure. Yeah. Life always has its, its tricks and obstacles and you never know what someone has going on. So I think that's why it is important to practice empathy. Um, yeah, like a perfect example, I think I have a few colleagues that I work with. We're all really great at doing that. Just checking in on each other. Um, something as simple as just cracking a joke can help someone get through the day if they're not having a great day. Um, but I, I think that's important to a strong team is just being there for each other, understanding uh, and, and really just being for me. I always say it's it's more important to be a friend first than a colleague second. Maybe I'm wrong in saying that because I think if you're someone's friend first, you develop that connection that allows you to do much better work as colleagues. Yeah. And I don't even know if you have to go as far as being a, a friend, you have to be a human being first. Yeah. yeah. And as much as, you know, I'm kind of recognized for this emotional intelligence thing, like my, my self-management is not always spot on. Like the number of times I've cried at work, it's kind of embarrassing, right? But perfectly normal though. In the last couple of years, my my tight team, you know, I've cried on calls at least twice. And, you know, the team said, Oh, how are you? And then I just started to cry on the call. And it's like, oh ugh. and I mean, one of the times it's because my kid's tonsils, you know, he just had his tonsils out and then his throat kind of ripped open and we had to rush him to the hospital and there was all sorts of blood involved, you know. They were like, wow. uh, yeah, you should take the rest of the day off and, and we've got you like, it's okay. And you know what? If you can't cry when that happens, like you're not a human being, you know, like if yeah. you, if you think I'm unprofessional because I'm having a moment, cause you know, there was hospitals involved in children and all this kind of stuff, meh, you know, so I don't like crying at work, but it happens. Yeah. No, it's, that's really good point actually and it's funny that you led back into that empathy because i actually had one thing that i wanted to ask you is i feel like one important aspect of practicing empathy is being a good listener um that's one thing i know starting out i needed to work on a lot um i think i have a tendency where 
I am listening. It's not that I'm not listening to you, but then I get excited about what my response is and yeah. I jump in too quickly. So I've been making a conscious effort, whether it be in meetings, one-on-ones, to listen more, let that pause occur before I lead into whatever I'm going to say or vice versa. Um, so that is one thing. And so would you agree that listening is a important aspect of practicing empathy first? Absolutely. And those of us who are extroverts, we, it is usually a challenge for us. Yeah. I'll tell you what, in the virtual world and actually in the in-person world, I also try to make a practice of reading the room. I yeah. look at faces and so there are times on calls and maybe people don't like it that much, but I will, uh, in the middle of a call, I'll say, I see your face, Justin. Did you have, you know, wh- what are you thinking? Yeah. Because there are people who don't want to speak up, but they clearly have something to say and you can see it on their face. And so I make sure that that I'm kind of looking around and, and I do call on people and ask their opinion. Oh, Bob. Uh- body like your your body posture facial expression is huge and it's a, it is very important that you read the room and that's one thing i think throughout covid at least with me having started a new job in covid has been tough because not everyone goes cameras on yeah um and i feel like it's one of those things it takes just one or two people in a room of let's say eight to have cameras on where then you see a couple more trinkle in that feel comfortable turning on their camera regardless of how ruffled your hair looks or what hoodie you're wearing that day. Um, So I think it is nice to always have those meetings. I always appreciate the meetings where we do have cameras on the most because I feel like it is the most, you're the most interconnected with those people and they are usually the most collaborative meetings that we have. Kind of going back to, you know, so listening is an important, like I call it almost a sub skill of practicing empathy what is another, so of the kind of five key traits of emotional intelligence, so self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills, what would you say are some important sub-skills to, that you you practice or you find that you've needed to improve on to be improving your emotional intelligence? I know it's kind of an on-the-spot question. Um, well, I mean, we talk, we've talked about empathy a ton. Yeah. Authenticity as well. Vulnerability. Um, al- along with listening, it's actually curiosity. Okay. And so like, how would I know that Mike likes cars? Well, I had to ask. Um, he may have told you regardless. Well, I think okay, it's that much true. of a love. But I mean, remember when I came in, I mean, Justin, you and I don't work together. We don't know each other that well, but I said, are you, you play football, right? Yeah. How do I know that? Uh, I'm going to assume Michael either told you. Or you just did your your background check on me. I'm actually not too sure. No, I didn't do a background. Mike told me, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> now, I've known Mike for 10 years. I know lots of things about your family. I mean, I don't mean to be weird and a creeper. No, it's not weird. But because we talk about those things. Yeah. There's a curiosity there. And remember what I said before. Like, when you're talking about different cultures and things, the it's a curiosity, but it's also, it's not a judgment of anything. Right. So, um, it actually kind of aside, but lots of people who, who I work with, they're from Southern climates. And so, you know, I'm like, so do you know, like, do you know that you need to remove the snow off the top of your car too? Right. And I'm not trying to be a jerk. No, they literally don't know. Because isn't it, isn't it, 
you can get a ticket if you leave too much and it's blowing. Yeah, because it, it distracts and it harms the driver behind you. Yeah. Right. And so um, I ask them about their climate. I ask them about their life there. But I also, so being curious, but also being willing to share and, and, and being gracious enough um, and generous enough to share knowledge with people. Oh, here's another example. In our world, we have so many acronyms, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, probably, I don't know anybody on our teams that we work with directly who's been at Microsoft longer than I have. I'm like, I'd, I'm a dinosaur. You would think that I would know everything. I totally don't. I don't know. It changes all the time. Yeah. And so I'm actually kind of an acronym cop because I don't know all the acronyms and I've been here a billion years. Other people who are brand new, they for sure don't know the acronyms. So I'm busy in the chat writing out what the acronyms are, or I'll ask people to stop. Can you say what that acronym stands for? Yeah. Anytime I'm writing like my job description or something, I, I write it out full. And that's actually just being polite yeah. because it's very elitist to have acronyms that people don't know what you're talking about. It's actually really rude in yeah. my opinion. No, that's actually really awesome you do that because I feel like... Yeah, you can complete, completely lose the context of what the discussion is if you don't understand that one key acronym. Yeah. And you, you find it out and you're like, oh, okay, this is so simple, right? Right. It's like its own language in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's in code. It's coding language. Kate, I want to go back to something you talked about before and you mentioned it, I think, two or three times um, and we didn't get a chance to dive into it. Uh, I'm going to get maybe the framing wrong. Self-management or self-regulation. Um, Self-management. I think it was self-management you talked about, your own emotional management. Can you talk about that a little bit and why that's important or or how people do it? Yeah, this goes back to um, you can only control yourself and how you react to things. And so this is like you may have a, a, a first reaction that you might be angry, you might be sad. I mean, those are kind of the negative things you want to manage because they're not very constructive for other people. It can be make other people kind of toxic. I mean, do you know somebody who you work with or hang out with who's like a total, you know, Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, who's just down all the time? And and some of those people think it's their shtick, but it's actually not that fun to be around, right? So when you're being self-aware and you acknowledge that your behavior can also be kind of toxic or positive to others, then you can have moments where you stop and check yourself. Now, it's not easy. Like I said, I've cried at work and I prefer not to have cried at work. But at the end of the day, people prefer to get behind things that that they that are positive, that they want to win at. They don't want to just sit around and complain and poop on things. Yeah. Like there's lots to complain about, but that's no fun and it's not, it's not really actually all that productive. Yeah. And so always trying to find ways to find sort of the positive motion. Creating energy versus being an energy vacuum. Yeah. Very well put. So there are times when you have to stop and take a breath. There are times when you have to not send that email. There are times when you have to ask somebody else for their perspective. There are moments when I call up somebody and say, sanity check. I felt blah, blah, blah when someone did X, Y, Z, am I crazy? You know, and, and my, sometimes my coworker or my friend will talk me kind of in a different direction than I started. Um, the other piece to that is, 
In self-regulation, it's how you can coach others uh, and make sure that, that you don't have your own hidden agenda where you're trying to make yourself relevant. So this happens in interviews for job descriptions all the time. Unfortunately, people often have a bias where they, they make the bar for taking on a new role so high because they're trying to make themselves relevant. You know what I mean? Like only the smartest people work here and you have to have worked for 25 years, but we're going to pay you $10,000 a year. And you know what I mean? Like, like that's actually self aggrandizement. Stopping and saying, I'm going to be open. I'm going to be open-minded growth mindset and look for people's potential is part of your own self-management because it's not about you. It's about them. That's actually a good segue maybe. So um, obviously the topic here is why employers are looking for people with EQ. And so if you are applying for a job or doing an interview, are there ways that you could um, organically get across that you're an emotionally intelligent person? Are there things that people should be aware of when going into interviews to help get that skill across um, to whoever they're talking to? So I personally, I have a very set interview that I actually ask questions and I look for behavioral questions. I'm not saying everybody does that, but I, I do it because I'm looking for things. I always ask things like, you know, tell me about a time when you had to work with a difficult person. What did you do now? I know that's, you know, kind of captain obvious question, but it does tell you a lot in their answer. So as the candidate, you should actually prepare some, some stories, some examples for questions like that. And whether you're asked that question directly, you want to try to weave it into your conversation. So you're looking for things like you accomplish things as a team, you overcame something, you, um, you, you, you did something altruistic. Those are all stories that you, you want to want to involve, or even people around you, their success, like someone who worked for me went on to do this great thing. That is all indicating that you have some emotional intelligence that, that you probably made it a good culture, a good situation, so on and so forth. It's actually a good point. One of the things I listened for a lot during interviews is the I versus we dialogue. And so oftentimes people, um, not just during interviews, just during work generally, you'll find there's people that use I, my team, them, um, versus we, us together. And it has two effects. One, it, if you're being authentic about it, it truly is a mindset shift where you're working together as a team and everything you accomplish together is success or victory as a team together. But it also helps all of those people that are the we and the they together uh, and us helps those people feel included and important to everything that's happening not like they are doing something to put somebody at the front. Mm-hmm. And so I think I and we is a is a really big thing as well that I look for in interviews of how people talk. It, the, the one I love, like the most literal example is a basketball team, right? You as the basketball player want to get as many points as you can. And you want to get as many rebounds and as many steals. But what is the ultimate goal of a basketball team? It's to win the game. It's not to have one player with the most points. Yeah. And so it's up to leaders to show what the ultimate goal is and to make sure everyone on the team knows what that ultimate goal is. 
And it's also up to leaders to reward that behavior, to catch people doing good things and call it out to their peers, to praise in public when people are doing the we and the working together to accomplish the goal. Because at the end of the day, when people feel valued, when they feel like they're contributing to a bigger picture, they actually do more. And we end up with new innovative ways, new thinking that you would never have got to if everyone was just acting as individuals. Yeah, I definitely think when you understand that it's a group effort toward the common goal, you collectively get a better result, I think. That's why I truly think sports are, or at least for myself, I can speak to, was integral for my development of my leadership abilities, but also like my abilities to collaborate as a team. Um, you learn so much about different personalities. Um, you understand how to navigate tough situations, overcome adversity. That's why like, I think it'll be a cornerstone for one day when I have kids, like I would love to put them in sports so they can learn those same values and um, those same life lessons that I've learned throughout playing competitive sports for quite a long time. Um, I think it's one of those things that you can't replicate anywhere else. And there's so many other things that produce the same results and learnings um, like Michael being part of a dance team. Right. Right. You guys, you, you, uh, you absolutely roared the the stage and and got the crowd going and uh, you did Pretty that sure as you were a team. Like five years old when I did that. Oh, but you we have, have no, videos. You have no memory. We have videos um, to prove. What as we talk through emotional intelligence, um, there's probably some people that are doing some self reflection. Maybe they've done a personality test by this point in the dialogue. But what are some ways that people can develop this skill? So we talked about the learning and the development. Is it um, through reading, listening, a course? What are, what are some best practices? Um, back back to the sports analogy, you actually have to practice it. There's no there's no shortcut. So first, you have to identify it. That's why these assessments are really good. Like, where are the areas you need help? Where are the areas you you want to work on? So assessment is key, but then practicing it because it needs to actually become like it's natural in order to be authentic. And, the, and, and that's tough. So you may have to go through a little bit of rough practicing, but um, that's the only way to get there in my, in my opinion. Totally makes sense. So we've talked about a ton about emotional intelligence. Is there anything in your mind that we haven't covered that would be super useful for people? Um, I, I think, I think we've actually covered a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's about, it's about others, right? It's, if you want to be a lone wolf and work in your own company, that's fine too. But I can bet that you're trying to sell to someone or market to someone or give services to someone. So you, even as a lone worker, you're better off understanding other people and it really, at the end of the day, it's just more fun. Like life is short. We have to find things that make us happy. And so why not be, you know, attack things in a positive way rather than, than a negative one. And emotional intelligence makes it better for everybody. 
Well, thanks again for coming on then today, Kate. I think that is a perfect conclusion um, to the show. We'll put some of these resources in the description. Um, again, Mike and Justin from The Flywheel will be continuing to put out a bunch of these great topics. If there's anything that you have as a suggestion, we'd love to hear it. Um, but Kate, thank you so much today for coming on and talking about emotional intelligence, um, what it is, how to develop the skill. It's good to hear that even if you aren't born with a lot of emotional intelligence, you can learn it or develop it, but it takes practice and it takes effort and it takes self-awareness. And so all of those are things that we can continue to do. And the idea is it, you're not going to be perfect every time, right? So we might not always be doing this at our best especially when we aren't feeling at our best based on other external factors. So thank you. I don't know if there's anything you want to add as a, as a final conclusion for people to think about. Um, but if not, we'll be, we'll be signing off from the flywheel. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun and I hope some people get some good ideas. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. You've been listening to the flywheel podcast, to the flywheel podcast hosted by Mike and Justin. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at the flywheel.ca. 